of Rank and Review, and it's kind of a special episode for me. Not just because it was recorded right before my 47th birthday, but it was sort of recorded on the 10th anniversary of Rank and Review, the podcast. And it has my friend Scott Lehman, who I've known for as long as I've been alive, and myself talking about zombies. I mean, I didn't plan it to time out this way, but if I had, it would have been a solid, solid choice. So I think you're in for a treat. I always love talking to Scott. We are both passionate about the subject. We have uh, lots to say. We've got ups and downs in the list, but it's another joyful zombie episode of Rank and Review with Larry Parsons, your host and random Canadian. And of course, Mr. Scott Lehman. If you have feedback to send, you can send that to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. You can check out the website at rankandreview.ca. And if you're suffering in the two-week gaps between episodes, check out the Terror Table podcast and check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, hosted by my good friend, Mr. Jason Dubray. But you didn't come here to hear me talk about other podcasts. I think you came here to hear me and Scott talk about zombies. So let's do that. <laughs> Scott Michael Lehman, you magnificent bastard. <laughs> it's so good to... Uh, hear your voice and indeed see you on my computer screen um you you honor me sir because uh oh, tomorrow tomorrow is my birthday but um i knew that you had all this stuff in your life and i didn't want to be the source of stress for you but this being my 10th year of rank and review i would have lo- would love always love to have you on the podcast but not only did I not have to needle you about this, you got in touch with me saying, gee, Larry, do you think I could do this zombie list? Could I could I twist your arm into doing this zombie list? Uh, you know what? The day before my birthday, first thing in the morning with a fresh cup of coffee, this is going to be awesome. So thank you for being here as always, and thank you for choosing zombies. Um, 
I think we've we've talked about a lot of different subjects, but we've never done a specific zombie themed episode before, to my memory. So, no, I think we have it, haven't we? Oh, that's no, right. We did it. At, I can't believe I forgot that. That's right, because we did Nightmare City, and I'm an idiot. I'm a bad Maggie host. Was in there and, yeah, you are. I'm a bad host <laughs> and a bad friend. But this is actually lovely now too, because we, can, we do it if we can. <laughs> no, 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 no! I own, I own the 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 creaks and moans of this podcast. I'm not going to pretend that I'm anything that I'm not. But you're absolutely right, and that was a fun episode. And there was that really frustrating low budget movie. I seem to always throw at least one real like knuckleball low <laughs> low budget thriller at you every time we do this. But now we've just had Bigfoot returns on the podcast, and now we can have a zombies returns. It's like it's like sequel episodes. Wormwood. Wormwood was on that. I love Wormwood. Yes. That was number one, I think, yeah. No, Nightmare City was number one for you, wasn't it? I don't I have to go listen to it again. Oh, look who doesn't remember what, man. <laughs> I think we're getting I like, old. I like my zombie movies. The zombie movies are fun. And, yeah, happy birthday to you. Thank and, you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I figured, you know, I got some stuff going on that's going to keep me busy. But I thought, let's, let's knock one of these out first. And I uh, thought, you know, I think Larry might have fun if I... Let's let's do some zombie talk. That's always a good time with you. Right. Was there a particular? I mean, I, as I'm looking at you behind you on your wall, there's a poster for Dawn of the Dead. There is. So, so was that the thing that, that brought you to the episode, or was it just zombies again? Well, I looked through uh, some of them that you had, and I thought, well, let's narrow it down to a handful of like, seventeen or so episodes, and uh, <laughs> from there narrowed it down to you know four or five and. <laughs> As long as I've got access to all six films, and right? This one I did, and uh, and I thought there's a few in there that might be a, a kind of fun to take a swing at. So and uh, a few in there that were first time watches as well for me. So okay. Well, I think that, uh, I don't know if you'll agree, but I'm going to go out and say that there are some peaks and valleys <laughs> to this particular selection. <laughs> but the peaks are very, very high. High enough that I'm very forgiven of some of the some of the lower entries. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like uh, there's definitely a there's, a... there's a top half and a bottom half, for sure. <laughs> what do you want out of your zombie movie? Hmm. Well, I want uh, I want there to be zombies. <laughs> That's important. Like to, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those that says zombies have to be slow, or I like fast zombies, or I like gory zombies, or, or just painted face ones. I, I like them all. I do like the variety that we're getting. Um, we have these six films. All I believe all the zombies in here are different. They're all unique to the their film, and and I kind of like that. I do like my zombies to be uh, you know brain munching and uh, or skin ripping and you know scary um, but there's funny zombies as well and they're who too but uh, I, I like them all and even uh, even the ones a lot of them they aren't technically zombies some of the zombie nerds will say no it's technically not a zombie it's uh, it's got a rage virus or he's affected by you know something else in, in the air or something but in all essence they're still they go by zombie movie rules and they all fit so if you got a small group of survivors and if any of the things that are attacking them if they bite you you turn into one of them as far as i'm concerned we're talking about the zombie genre i mean i think we can split hairs if we choose to but uh i usually try not to that's not the fight i'm going to be taking here 
But I think I agree with you when you say I like my zombie movies to have their own personality. The zombies can be different. Like, the zombies in Nightmare City are very different than the zombies in Wormwood. But we love both of those movies because they have their own sort of strong, you know, raison d'etre. <laughs> they have their own way of doing business and they do it well. And I guess, yeah, personality goes a long way. But I'm, I'm not too proud to say that I'm also here for the teeth and tissue. I think yes. in a zombie movie a little bit of gore is expected. Yeah, that's true. And if there isn't, I I do find myself often disappointed with a PG zombie movie because I do want to see something getting ripped. I will be forgiven yeah, of be bad special effects, even, because I know you're trying something and you got a low budget. So I mean, having said that, I have seen PG zombie movies that I have liked because yeah. they go another route with it. We're not there for the teeth, but they're doing something else with it. Maybe it's it's a humorous film or, or something. But uh, uh, I, I love the idea of zombies, and uh, I'm I'm ready for when it actually happens. Uh, I can't wait to get my crowbar and <laughs> start protecting my family. But uh, um, I've always liked zombie movies. Eh? Yeah. Something about you know the breakdown of society and and what happens to us and we go back to our primal survival instincts and uh, maybe sometimes the the worst of us comes out as people in in that or or become better or protectors or and you know the dead get up and kill and the people that kills get up and kill that yeah. whole idea is you know kind of scary hey that that's not a monster that's my grandma but no you have to put grandma down or once yeah, grandma's a zombie, she's a zombie. She's not grandma anymore. Yeah, so they, they provide that, that moral kind of emotional hit too as well, right? That's uh, yeah. The weird thing about zombie movies for me is that I usually find them to be fun. Despite the fact that they're apocalyptic and despite the fact that they deal with humanity at their worst... A lot of my favorite zombie movies, I find Dawn of the Dead to be a lot of fun to watch. Return of the Living Dead is a lot of fun to watch. Train to Busan is a blast to watch. But the subject matter is terrifying, and that's it's kind of weird. I mean, only in your, I guess, sort of big Rambo John Wickish action movies do such, such violence, you know, produce such smiles. <laughs> It's rare to have a zombie movie that ends with a happy ending. Yeah. Right, as far as, like, it, all the zombies are gone, everyone's okay now, the end. Because it's usually a, a bigger global issue. And uh, so, yeah, they often will end on a downer. Or and if or the survivors get away, uh, you know, dot, 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 for now, or <laughs> whatever. But, uh, they go off to an uncertain future. All right. Well, um, before I forget the movies that we're going to be reviewing and your name, <laughs> because apparently my memory is faltering, is there anything else you'd like to say before I list off these six zombie movies we're doing for our second exclusive zombie episode? <laughs> let's, let's get in it. All right. We're going to talk about Dawn of the Dead. But Larry, you've talked about Dawn of the Dead before on the podcast. Yes, well... This is the Argento European cut of Dawn of the Dead. And if it's just an excuse to talk about Dawn of the Dead with my buddy Scott, you all can fucking live with it. <laughs> so there it is. Yeah. We're going to talk about a 70s Nazi zombie picture called Shockwaves. We're going to talk about Wicked Little Things, which is a very micro-budget movie about child zombies. We're going to talk about Train to Busan and One Cut of the Dead. And we're going to finish it off with a Stephen King adaptation called Cell. 
with a very different kind of zombie to it. Scott, very. thank you so much for being here. It's Scott, right? Uh, yeah, we'll go by Scott. Okay, good. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Returning to life and attacking the living. I'm not so sure what to believe, Doctor. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Do you understand that, Mr. Berman? That's what keeps them going. I think Foster's right. We're losing. Yeah, but not to the enemy. We're blowing it ourselves. dead body must be exterminated, either by destroying the brain or severing the brain from the rest of the body. A friend of mine's got this helicopter. He does traffic reports for G.O.N. and he's running out with it. It's 9 p.m. all right. Stephen, we can't. We've got to... We've stay. got to nothing, Fran. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. So, Dawn of the Dead, when I discovered zombie movies, as uh, I guess I was in my early teens when I was really, like, voraciously looking for them, um, I'd seen Night of the Living Dead, and I was aware of the uh, Romero zombie movies, but I didn't have the affection I did yet for them because the versions I'd seen of them had been highly compromised. Particularly Day of the Dead was just viciously edited in its VHS release. Like, uh, it, it, it was terrible, but... I remember very clearly finally getting to see Dawn of the Dead and the start of the movie being in its sort of rough, shaky, pastel 70s self way. I remember being initially a little bit off, but, oh, this looks old and cheap, young Larry said. And then two hours and ten minutes later, because I believe it was the uh, theatrical cut that I watched for the first time or whatever it was, uh, I was sitting there thinking... This might be the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. At the time, not like just like zombie movie. It was like, that was amazing. <laughs> like it hit me. It set off my imagination in such a way that like, like you were saying in the uh, beginning, uh, I'm a 14 year old kid who's like imagining how awesome it would be if the zombies came, <laughs> you know? I think that that's a big change that happens to us over time. When we're younger, it's all like, this would be amazing. And the older we get, the more it's like, maybe it would be not super amazing. In fact, maybe the entire point of Dawn of the Dead is that it would not be amazing to have a mall all to yourself. It would eventually become a prison, <laughs> right? But... My God, this movie kicks ass on so many levels. And part of its charm is its ricketiness. Part of it is Romero's just handmade, bring your friends to the, sea, to, to the film set. Like, the energy of the movie has a weird, unstable quality to it. The, the movie doesn't even settle down into them nesting at the mall and, like, having a narrative until almost a third of the way through the movie. And 
despite all of these narrative rule-breaking things it's doing, it's never not interesting, it's never not exciting. The violence doesn't always look real, but it looks grotesque, and the zombies sometimes look blue, they sometimes look gray, but you always know when you're looking at a zombie, and the momentum of the movie is wonderful. I think particularly in Argento's cut. I think that he pays more attention to pace, and he makes, for the most part, smarter musical selections, I think, than Romero did. But there are times where I miss it, like the classic cheesy mall music at the end of Dawn of the Dead. But It's not in the European cut. He uses a different, like, guitar-heavy goblin track, which is maybe more appropriate for what we're seeing at the time, but, like... These are small, subtle differences, and uh, they use different angles. I believe that he, part of the deal that Argento made with Romero when he flew him to Italy to have him write his screenplay for Dawn of the Dead and help him produce it was that he would have the European rights and that you, Romero would have the American, North American rights and that uh, he might have to make a few changes for time and editing for his European version. That's just, just a way they sent out international films on that side of the world, the same way we do on our, our side. A lot of movies would have like 40 minutes cut out of them and the story rearranged, so like they would almost be completely changed. But I think Argento absolutely respected the, the what Romero was up to. And maybe he was concerned that the satire would slow things down too much for the European audience. So I feel like that's where the most trims happened. But essentially, everything is still here in a slightly tighter package. Um, I like it a lot, but usually when I watch Dawn of the Dead, I go for the big, greasy, double cheeseburger helping of the director's two-and-a-half-hour cut. But this was a fun watch, and it will always be a fun watch. But gee, Scott, what do you think of Dawn of the Dead? I, I, lo I love the shit out of Dawn of the Dead. Um, and I was like you, I saw this very young, like this was 78, it came out, right? And, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think I seen it in 78 because I would have been <laughs> five years old, but I'm sure I seen it, you know, by the time I was 12 or, or old enough to work a, a VCR or find something on a movie channel, but it just captured my imagination like, like nothing. Uh, and at that age, that's just how zombies looked in, in movies. I wasn't judging, you know, the makeup or anything, because to me that looked great. When they're, the zombies are biting people and the skin rips, it looked great. Um, there's a scene early on when a, a guy gets his head blown off with a shotgun. <laughs> it's fucking amazing still. It just catches you by surprise. So that stuff, and then the whole, is okay, it's the end of the world. I've, I was aware of Night of the Living Dead before, so this picks up, you know, immediately, uh, frantic news station reporting about this. Uh, the world's going to hell, and the zombies are taking over. And so you're in, you're in this already. There's no build-up. It starts, and uh, the idea of taking refuge in a shopping mall is such a fun idea for for a zombie movie, because uh, there's just so much imagination that can go with that. Just like, hey, yeah, that would be an okay place to stay, and you know, until someone tries to take it over or, or something, because you have access to you know, food or clothing, furniture, you know, arcade games to pass the time. Yeah. You start in, but there's, there's so much opportunity there for, uh, for commentary on, on society and, and everything. And just these mindless zombies walking around the mall. Um, not sure why they're there, but just wandering, uh, for instinct or habit. And it's just, uh, it's clever. And, uh, 
and I love the movie. Now, we're talking about the Argento one, which is about, what, 15 minutes shorter? Or yeah. 12, something like that. You mentioned the music. I think if I was... Usually I watch the theatrical version. I There's three that I have. There's the theatrical, there's the extended extended cut, yeah. which combines both of them, I think, and then there's the, the Argento one. I, like you, usually will go to the, to the theatrical one, um, but this one is is tighter, and uh, the music, this one gets the nod for the music. The soundtrack with, with the Goblin music is, I do enjoy it a lot more, because some of that mall music in the middle, and you have like the mall announcements over, and uh, it sounds a little bit cheesy, and that's maybe one thing that maybe makes it feel a little wonky. Yeah. Um, but this this soundtrack is is, uh, is an improvement. Uh, certain cuts, I didn't really notice the different angles as much. I noticed certain things missing, like the helicopter that chops that uh, one zombie's yeah. on top of his head off. Uh, they, they took that out for some reason. I think what I read is uh, he wanted to take out anything that was kind of comical. He wanted it a more serious, scary picture. Right. Uh, so I guess he thought maybe that was funny it, it is kind of you know, clever but it's a cool it's, effect you know, though like little, just for the yeah. quality of the effect you think they'd want to keep it like argento's not known to be squeamish when it comes to gore no uh, and it's kind of it's a funny effect now when you look back on it uh, because now when you know what's happening you see the zombie walking he's totally got a, a bigger forehead that <laughs> it's not real i totally um, forgive that man <laughs> But the, the other thing they, they took out, uh, I mean, some of the cuts I found, because when I did it, I watched Dawn of the Dead earlier in the week, and then I watched this one at the end of the week, just so I could really compare the two, and you know, so we're not reviewing the wrong one. Um, and some of the cuts seemed a little jarring to me, just because I was expecting it to be more drawn out, or there's one scene when they're getting the trucks to block the mall doors. Yeah. I found that one was a little choppy, it just started halfway into the scene. You weren't really sure what was happening. Uh, you kind of lost a little of the, uh, the character on that. But the movie moves along, and it's still two hours, and uh, it's still it's still phenomenal. It's still Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. See, I, it's weird because I had this memory of it. I watched it on VHS the first time, the European cut, oh, yeah. the Argento cut. And I, I, I misremembered it. Like I didn't. I thought he'd taken the pie out of it. Remember the, where when the bikers start throwing the pies at him? But it's very much here. At least this time I watched it, there it was. Um, and That's the most I, confusing thing to me, because if you're going to take out the comedic moments, that is the one I'm circling with a red marker saying, yeah, we'll take that. Yeah, I would take that one out. Exactly. That's the one scene in the full thing where, it, it, why are we having a pie fight? I yeah. know that was a big thing in like <laughs> late 70s. And even Romero doesn't have a good good answer for you. I think they that things got carried away on set. They were driving motorbikes around this mall, and they were having a party, and uh, all of a sudden it became this absurd thing, this absurd, I don't know, Andy Warhol moment. Um, because, yeah, the bikers are smart until they're suddenly stupid. They, they're walking through the zombies like they're nothing until they're suddenly made into a blender by them. And in a less interesting, less well-made movie, it would have bothered me more. It's funny because watching it this time too, I was a little bit more aware of like, I used to be kind of, even in my introduction, I was a little bit dismissive about there's something a little bit handmade and choppy and not amateurish, but not, there's something unpolished about Romero. All of his movies seem to have it, no matter how deep into his career he goes. But there's something about that lack of polish that makes them feel different and makes you kind of go with them. And, uh, the way the movie starts at such a frenzied, chaotic pace in the newsroom, and then it goes to that horrendous violence, like, right away. 
people are dying, people are getting their heads blown off, people are getting bitten. It's saying, this is what we are right away, and if you don't like this, go see if you can catch another movie in another screening, because we're like, this is Dawn of the Fucking Dead, y'all. There's real actual craft in it, but it's, it's, I don't know if it's deliberately hidden or just, it doesn't feel calculated in the way it would in a more Hollywood movie. The transition Roger goes through from being a pretty believably badass SWAT team to this like fading emaciated skeleton guy is really well handled and they didn't have the special effects to pull it off. It was all performance and script. I think like even I could be called guilty of being of underrating the talent of Romero. Yeah, some of his dialogue can be wonky, but he knows how to cut a scene and he knows how to tell an interesting story. They don't follow the rules of narrative that most screenplays seem to be rigidly following. They have their own vibe and especially in Dawn of the Dead, it's just kicking on every possible level. Something about the longer that I prefer just having it dry because it takes Romero's cut does take a break after you know after all the zombies are cleaned out in the mall and then they're going to get rid of the bodies yeah and now now we have the safe space now we can build a home and we can stay here for a while and and uh, and I kind of for a while maybe it does drag a bit to maybe the European audience that doesn't like that uh, they wanted to let's get the zombies back but uh, there's something about that where it's you know they almost forget about the zombies for a while yeah uh, until that one scene the viewer gets comfortable and we forget they're having fun they're you know going to the shooting gallery or they're you know doing all this fun stuff uh, and then the, the one guy is playing tennis on the roof of the mall and one of the balls falls and the camera follows that ball and it drops on the floor and then you're reminded we're still, they're there. still there like they're still pounding on the door and, and it's like it's i really love that moment yeah the, the music cue and everything when that ball bounces on the ground that's one of my favorite shots of the movie actually and it's it's not much but it's a, there's something just ominous about it there and, is uh, a lull especially in the extended cut and i think in a way it's kind of important to take a little bit of a breath there and for them to feel the ennui the weird thing is the time crunch because between the time roger is bitten and dies is supposed to be roughly three days and it certainly feels like a lot more than three days goes by time wise uh, as we're watching that happen so then after Roger dies, even more time, I think, needs to go by. And uh, Romero might have had a hard time juggling that. But the importance of it is to, A, show the psychological wearing down. They're starting to realize the mall is a prison. They are trapped there. And the part of the audience where, like, on some sinister level, we want the zombies to come. We know the zombies are going to come. And we're not cheering for the zombies, but... We know this shoe's going to drop, and here it comes in the form of this biker gang and the zombies. I like to talk about Cooper characters, and there's not like an overtly, I mean, unless you count all of the bikers, but Flyboy is an interesting character in that he seems to be consistently doing things wrong, but he's not as hateable as your average Cooper character in that he's trying to do better, and yeah. he does occasionally, you know, get things right. So he's we're kind of torn about him. Yeah, he's he's got good intentions. He wants to do well. Uh, he wants to be part of the team. And you know, there's that one scene when uh, when they're first going into that big department store, and then they hey, let's go get Flyboy on our side, and they yeah. go and get him. And he seems like, hey, look, I'm one of the guys now. He just has this joy about him. You know, they're banging on the glass, getting the zombies' attention. 
Um, I, yeah, I don't really know if there's a character in here. I mean, maybe uh, you know Roger when he gets bit. Maybe yeah. That's, I think we let him off the hook a little bit. That character because he's being and and he has that coming because he's you know laughing, he's hooting and hollering and having a great time and showing off and and uh, now look what you did. You weren't you know get your head in the game. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, as far as characters, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's one really that stands out that way to me, but. Uh, well, I mean, there's, they're just in the way that they cause problems. Like, Flyboy, if he didn't start shooting at the bikers, they could have kept their little hiding yeah. spot, and they could have rebuilt. The bikers would have trashed the place. They would have had to clean house with the zombies again. But if they'd wanted to keep their precious mall, they could. But he chooses to open yeah, fire on them. This is ours. We took it. And... I still think in the entirety of the Romero's six and now possibly seven zombie movie cycle, Flyboy might be the greatest single zombie that we ever get. <laughs> I love... Yeah, when that elevator opens up, that's a great... Yeah, well, elevator. it means a lot to us because he's an important character to the movie and now he's changed. He leads the zombies through the barricade because he knows it's there even as a zombie up to them. He's walking terribly on his bent angle. I don't know how the actor did that without breaking his fucking foot. <laughs> and then he takes this just absolutely chef kiss, magnificent headshot <laughs> when he gets to the top of the stairs. It's the most epic zombie kill. I just, it's, it's amazing. There's real stakes to that moment. And like, this is somebody he's known and lived with for a long time. And now he's just obliterating him and, ugh. Damn, son. Did you hear about Twilight yeah, of the Dead? About which one? Twilight of the Dead. Uh, I don't know if I had heard that. No. George Romero was working on the screenplay. Somebody else had to finish it. I guess it was incomplete. Brad Anderson, director of Session 9 and a bunch of other really cool thrillers, uh, is apparently going to be directing it. But it's all up in the air because of the strike that's going on right now. But we may get a seventh kind of quasi-unofficial Romero zombie movie. Well, I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry for a little current events there in the middle of the Dawn of the Dead review. Is there any other gushing that we need to do about Dawn of the Dead? I mean, like, this has been nothing but a couple of, like, horror nerds just... <laughs> just heaping praise. Maybe a couple points on it. And maybe a couple points, you know, and maybe just another one that points out the difference of the cuts. Um something that just also shows the expansion of time after after the one character dies and they're still living with the three of them uh if you look you know when they started in the mall they start setting up in the storage room and that storage room slowly becomes an apartment suite you know they start bringing in at one point they got a few blankets then they have a, a bed and then they got you know using boxes as an end table and by the end they got they got couches they got lamps they put some paintings on the wall you know everything is at their fingertips in the mall I, and i really kind of liked i noticed that and that's something that you don't see grow as much in the other cut because it's a you know we kind of do a little reader's digest version of the passage of time but uh, right it, by the end it looks like a you know a, basically an apartment suite and uh, I, I i don't know it's something i just kind of uh i think it's not necessary you could cut it for for timing uh and if you only have two hours you don't have two and 13 or whatever the other one is and you get this. You get the meat and bones still of the same movie. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I did notice a bit. I mean, it's, it is starting to finally age a little. I mean, it's bound to. Um, 
one thing that hasn't aged is you know, how much I enjoy it though. Um, and I still just remember watching it and having dreams of you know these slow zombies after me in a shopping mall. And you can run by them if you want, but I really noticed the uh, the slowness of them though. And sometimes I started wondering how did how did they take over the world? How are, how is it happening? And I guess the news station reports is because nobody that was their family or, or that they knew uh, that we have to put these people down. But there's a few moments when the zombies are really just standing there with yeah. their arms stretched out and they're not making any attempt to move. And uh, that's just, you know, budget. Compared to something like Train to Busan, right. I can easily see how that would overtake a city with, you know, hours. Um, these I ones, um, I, I don't know, it's, it, I started wondering at a certain point, you know, when the bikers are all coming into the mall, the zombies are all just standing on the sidewalk, you know, and backing up, and, but uh, not, not to fault the movie for anything, but it, it, it is something that I did clock here after watching the variety of movies that we watched today. Well, I do think that between the 70s and now, zombies definitely got their steroids kicked in, and they become much more viscerally aggressive and scary. And uh, that works as far as the energy, the stakes, the suspense, and the fear, but it takes away a little bit from the fun. I think that uh, these being a little bit of a survivable catastrophe, these, these versions of zombies kind of... It doesn't deplete the world of stakes, but it, it, it makes it somehow believable that you could survive it. And... Uh, as far as why they're not, well, I think that's the sort of thesis of all of the Romero dead movies. Uh, when, when the dead walk, we have to stop killing each other or we lose the war, right? And we don't stop killing each other. In fact, we start killing each other more. <laughs> and uh, just the classic sort of zombie... And that's not a knock. That's not a knock, no. Oh, you froze for me for a second. Sound that way. Sorry, you froze just a second there. It's not a knock, but what? You still hear me though? I can hear you now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. As far as the, the slow moving zombies, there's uh, you know I know you're kind of another movie uh, zombie movie called The Dead. Yeah. It takes place in the Africa. Love it. That one. Those zombies are even slower moving. Right, they are just plotting, but there's something still just terrifying about these slow, brainless things that they they are moving fast, but they're also not going to stop. They're just going to keep on moving, and they're just wandering aimlessly. And ghouls, really, and it's uh, I don't know something about the slow ones really captures the imagination. Where it's like, yeah, and and the characters can afford to get cocky then and say, yeah. hey, look, all we got to do is run past these guys, and they do for the most part. But one now and then, you're going to get caught because you're going to get a little bit too uh, too brave and think look how easy this is I do I really enjoy it. Uh, I think I'm going to call that good enough on Dawn of the Dead because we're at 22 minutes here <laughs> okay good enough you are now in the deep end of horror shockwaves once they were almost human. You mean to say that what we all saw out there is just a mirage? It was a minor underwater disturbance, with a hot sky acting on a cold current coming from a mile down below. 
Something unknown, something unforeseen, something unspeakable lives below, and it lives to destroy. They have risen. We created the perfect soldier from cheap hoodlums and thugs in a good number of pathological murderers and sadists as well. We called them the Totem Corps, the Death Corps, creatures more horrible than any you can imagine. From beyond the dead, from beneath the living, from the depths of hell's ocean, everything they touch will die in the deep. Shock waves. So we go from a classic zombie movie to a, quote, cult zombie movie. And there's a whole subgenre of, I guess, what you would call Nazi zombie movies. Um, I guess upon revisiting Shockwaves, I'll admit that I'm not completely on board with, like, the understanding of the amount of sort of cult hype around the movie. But it does certainly have qualities that I do respect. We talked about uh, each kind of zombie movie having their own zombies with their own vibe. These specific waterlogged zombie Nazis have their own specific look. And they have this eerie uh, silence about them. And uh, they aren't just waterlogged for the sake of that. It seems like they somehow draw their invulnerability, their powers from the, the water. And uh, they just, they, they're a striking image of themselves. But a few things throw, th throw me off right away. First of all, it takes a while to get to those zombies. And secondly, I think it was a mistake to start with Brooke Adams on this boat being rescued and her telling us this story. Because it really, I mean, I know it's a, it's, it's a classic form sort of story element, but we know who's going to survive from the get-go. So that's going to take a big portion of it. And we know, because we're watching Shockwaves, the Nazi zombie movie, that there's going to be Nazi zombies. Um, I did basically... everybody except Rick Adams. That's right. I did basically enjoy the movie, but I do think at times the aesthetic and the 70s sort of slowness of it had me distracted. For instance, in the first act on the boat, I had this little fan, flight of fancy in my brain what if brooke adams was feeling seasick one day doing all these shots on the boat and maybe she had to go into another room and lay down and maybe there was someone there that was there to comfort her and just just hold her and make her feel better or maybe when they were walking through the woods uh brooke adams just they need they, they need to do another camera setup so she just sort of would walk off into the woods and have a swim in some little pond there but oh she can't get her costume wet so I found myself thinking a lot about, you know, occasions and liaisons with Brooke Adams. <laughs> what I'm trying to indelicately say is Brooke Adams is incredibly beautiful in this movie and the director knows it and we are asked to ogle her unmistakably throughout the movie and... For some people, that's going to be uncomfortable. I didn't find it particularly uncomfortable. <laughs> I have strong feelings about well, Brooke not, Adams. She's not, <laughs> she's not nude in it. I mean, she is asked to wear a bikini top through the film. They do give her a shirt to wear. Yep. I mean, it's, she only does have one button, but uh, you know, that's on her. But um, it's, it's very right. upfront. It's very upfront about it, yeah. you know. And now here's Brooke swimming for a long time in her bikini. And now... 
Uh, and look, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it, but I can totally see in the modern age people seeing it's a very male gaze. Let's be real. Um, the other thing is our two sort of stalwart, you know, past their prime actors that we have put in here. Uh, we get Peter Cushing and um, John Carradine. I think John Carradine cashed a p paycheck, and I think Peter Cushing gave a performance. <laughs> but that's just one guy's opinion. Um, so I kind of come down in the middle of it. Like, there's definitely things to see and to like and to enjoy aesthetically about the movie. But I have to say, for 85 minutes, it did kind of drag for me as well. I think at the end of it, my overall feeling was kind of um, because it uh, there's not a lot going on and this is one where we don't see a lot of grizzly stuff either or or any really right um, I think the zombies mostly kill by causing their victim to drown just holding them under the water and uh, and that's not really exciting for a zombie movie fan um, for what we want well as I said in the introduction one of the things that I come to see is the teeth and the tissue and uh, it's a more of an old school zombie thing that they choke you, or in this case it makes sense, I guess they pull you to the depths and drown you. But you're right, it's a different thing. Yeah. Especially coming off the back of the sort of <laughs> big energy gore fest that was Dawn of the Dead. This is by contrast just a slog through the mud, right? But judging it on its own merits, it does have like some cool things going for it. it's only two years earlier. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and I'll kind of, yeah, I mean, you're talking about uh, Brooke Adams and her her costume, or, or lack of much costume, uh, but I, I compared, there's another film similar in a, in a way, you know, it's funny that zombie Nazis is really a thing, because there are quite a few, you can do a whole episode on Nazi zombies, um, now these ones are unique because they're underwater Nazi zombies, so they added a little twist to it, but there's a movie, I'm thinking of uh, Zombie Lake. Okay. Familiar with that one? Yeah. And that's, uh, I believe that's also Nazi zombies coming up from under under the water. Uh, and I th I think in my mind I was getting the two of them confused a bit. And when I watched this one, because I know Zombie Lake. Now, that one is more exploitive. That one's a, a TNA uh, right. film. It's just any excuse we have to have, uh, you know, women take off their clothes and frolic in the water. They jump at every chance. So, uh, and it's, a, it's more of a fun, like, silly like look how ridiculous is you know the zombies are painted green and the paint washes off when they get out of the water kind of thing so it's this one they do a little bit seems they, they take this one a bit more serious and uh, i'm not going to fault them for for making the you know their lead actress be ogled a little bit because i, I think they compared to how they could have gone they could have made it uh, um, very you know varied i think in comparison yeah. No, I mean, compared to your classic Italian exploitation movie, this is very tame. But I just want to, like, it's just how how much it is. Every time the camera's on Brooke Adams, you can tell, you know, <laughs> there's a male gaze there. It's it's Even without the nudity and the overt sexuality, there's something about how she's photographed. <laughs> yeah, I, I will agree that when the movie was done, I wondered to myself, well, what do I think? And I, eh, no, not a lot happened kind of slow not really super interesting and Brooke Adams was pretty but yeah so there was that I guess there's other things pretty I mean, the, about the cover it. art is great sorry say that again brother 
the, the cover art is really nice. Oh, yes. <laughs> you can give points for a nice poster. <laughs> if that counts. Um, there were moments of aesthetic, not just the zombie things. I thought it was kind of a cool thing that when they originally uh, got to the island, something in the sky changed. Like the sun, the light, the color, and the atmosphere, everything had changed for a little bit. Um, like something monumental had taken place. They'd somehow passed over into some forbidden barrier. I don't know. It was like a good... There's good attempts at atmosphere throughout it. Um, and and weirdness. Like, is it because... I don't know if I missed that little detail of plot, but is it because they're waterlogged that they can't withstand their eyes being exposed to sunlight? Uh, there was something about that because they make them wear these goggles. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, one of them, their goggles gets ripped off and he suffers from that. Yeah, he can't handle it. I'm glad you pointed out the sky color change. Yes. Because that, that was one, and it's interesting, I like that you you appreciated that. That's something I, I didn't like that. Oh, yeah? I thought it, I was, I didn't understand why all of a sudden, hey, look at the sun and say, why do you have to say the whole place is pinkish, yellowy, orangey? It just, to me, it looked like there, there was a flaw with the film or something and they just tried to explain it by writing a new scene on the spot. Because it it, it it was strange. It just made no sense, and it was just there was a tint to the to the film or something, and overexposed or something. But I, that I, it threw me off there, and I was I was not sure what was going on. Not in uh, ooh, I wonder what's going on. It was like what the hell's going on? Right. Uh, well, it's, there's something about the inexplicable to me. Uh, in uh, this Richard Matheson novel, The Incredible Shrinking Man, a bunch of people are on a yacht. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a cloud forms and dumps this oily liquid on top of them. And they all see it, this all that happens, and like, what the hell was that? But what choice do they have but to move on from it? And it sort of reminded me of that. It was just, I hadn't seen that. I also thought it was funny that the Carradine character was being so snotty about navigation, and the first thing he does is ground them on a beach. <laughs> He was being all drunk and belligerent with uh, our handsome roguish lead about uh, navigating the boat when he was clearly himself incompetent. If they were going to do more with that character, that might have even ended up being interesting. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? Maybe remake? Try it again? I don't see why not, honestly. Like, the component pieces... Well, this is the thing. There'll be a few other movies where we talk about this, like... The, the elevator pitch for me, you got Brooke Adams in a bikini, you got Nazi waterlogged zombies, you, you know, you got Peter Cushing keeping a straight face. He made this movie the same year he made Star Wars. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I kind of like that he, if he was holding his nose, it wasn't on his face. Like, this is a cheesy Nazi zombie movie, but... He showed up and he gave a performance and, he, you know, he had the scarred makeup and whatever. He was there to deliver the goods and he would. But, yeah, I don't see why you couldn't remake it. You know, there's there's plenty of uh, stars we could dust off to put in it. And, uh, I don't know, maybe either up the ante on the gore or up the ante on the cheese. I don't know. There was an ingredient missing for me. I, I don't know. I know that there's a cult crowd around this movie but I don't know that I fully understand it beyond like I have this image of the movie premiering somewhere and Brooke Adams being there and somehow me being there too and talking to her after the movie and she's a little bit embarrassed about it and we laugh and somehow our eyes meet and sorry I forgot what I was talking about <laughs> <laughs> 
Is there anything else we should say about shock treatment? Have I completely well, failed to review this movie? <laughs> well, uh, no, I think we I, we tried to stay on topic. Um, <laughs> I think we covered most of it. Um, yeah, it's it's, just, it's I don't know. It's it's funny that there's so many zombie Nazi movies now, but uh, and that was kind of one of the early ones, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, it's I think we covered it. Watch Dead Snow, you guys. We don't make deliveries up there. Whose little girl are you? Definitely not yours. Where do you live? Up in the house. Up with the zombies? Why did you move up here to these mountains? My husband passed away. Sorry to hear that. Who are these children? Some kids used to work up at the Carlton Line. Emma, honey, where are you? Emma! Are you okay? He doesn't like to live in there anymore. Where'd you get the doll? Mary gave it to me. Give you two weeks to clear out. Mr. Hanks. What are you doing out at night? My Emma, she's gone missing, and I think she's with the one named Mary. Give her back by daylight, and we feed at night. How far are they behind you? On the road. I can't be real. They're already dead. As you so, so shall you reap. So, um, it, as I said again in the beginning, I, I seem to always bring you at least one kind of micro-budget <laughs> horror movie every time we do a bunch. But I, I understand that you are like me, and you can be very forgiving of a micro-budget uh, horror movie. I mean, we did that entire Guilty Pleasure <laughs> two-part episode of just crazy, ambitious, but low-budget pictures. And... They can work for me. I am willing to meet them halfway. And this is not like Perkins 14. And it's not like uh, Zombie Town. Some of the other ones that we've uh, done. In that it's not in a obvious wall-to-wall way amateurish. <laughs> like, I do think the movie oh. looks good. I think it sounds good. I think the cast is capable. The the zombie by way of ghost story that they're telling is incredibly familiar so familiar that almost in a bare bones way like it is the fog just slightly relocated in some respects um or john copper fog or that type of vengeance based ghost story like insert formula here and definitely it plays but just the idea, the images of these creepy little black-eyed zombie children and uh, that they have a legacy that they're sort of after and they want to get revenge on specific bloodlines. And if you're not in that bloodlines, you're in significant less danger, it turns out, than other people in the story. But who gets exempt unless, from... Unless you just happen to get in the way. Yeah, unless you're in the wrong place, wrong time, apparently, too. My point is, there's all these little component parts about the movies that I... I feel like I should be here defending it more and cheering for it more. But at the end of the day, despite interesting people being in it, despite it having cool imagery and a not a bad idea and a very competent execution, if not for, like, in spite of its low budget, this was another one of the After Dark uh, film festival ones we've talked about before in the past. And, yeah, you got real, real 
peaks and valleys and quality in those. But I feel like I should like this movie more than I do, but I I don't know, I am completely indifferent to it. It just doesn't do that much for me when all is said and done. I wasn't excited by it. I, like, struggle to find interesting plot points to bring up to start my little sort of opening salvo with you to the, make the review. But it's weird because it's, it's one of those movies that's haunted by the better movie it should have been somehow. Or my expectations were too high for it. I don't know what. But somehow I'm not making it to giving a thumbs up review on Wicked Little Things. Is it me or is it the movie? Well, let's say it's maybe a combination of both. I don't know. <laughs> um, because I, I, I'm kind of siding with you. Maybe I'm not as hard on it as, as you were. And you started off, you know, with talking micro budget. When I watch it, I don't. Even, I'm not even thinking about budget because, as you said, it, it looks like a movie and it sounds like it feels like a movie. Uh, I don't think that it's something you have to get or get it because you're into it. Uh, let's see. And I think it's an interesting idea and story as well. Um, and something about now these are different zombies because they're not. It's not a apocalyptic zombies taking over the world. No. It is almost like a ghost story. And these zombies only kind of appear at night or or how they need to. But they stay in their community. They don't wander and turn others into zombies. It's just these kids. So the, the rules are... They almost I didn't think they were zombies at first when I first saw this movie. It, it seemed like a ghost story, like The Fog or something. Then yeah. you do see them eating. So, oh, yeah, they, they be zombies. Um, well, they're a little bit I, of I, everything. Like... Maybe that's the problem. They're ghosts... They're zombies, they're like the black-eyed children, the sort of popularized myth that's happening these days, the sort of fear of the youth because they're a reflection of what we used to be. I mean, there's lots of angles to be played here. I just, uh, I don't know, I wasn't connecting. Yeah, I think my finished, I think uh, I felt, well, that was fine. Right. I think I landed somewhere in the middle. I felt like, well, yeah, that was okay. I mean, I think before... But when I watched this time, it may as well have been the first time. Right. Because I did not have any special memory from it. I re- recalled I watched it, you know, a handful of years ago or whenever, and I actually watched it with my daughter, just a random movie one day, um, which I think it was uh, one of the October uh, Halloween challenges. Right. Like I said, Chloe Grace Moretz in it, and she had to fill one of those categories, and she's in a lot of these type movies when she was young. And uh, then my daughter liked her. So anyway, she watched it, and... Uh, Watching it for this podcast, I really couldn't tell you what happens in this movie. It was, it was not memorable. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, but then I said, okay, well, that, you know, that was. There's worse ways to spend ninety minutes. Uh, there's also, you know, better ways. But I didn't regret any of it. And better, uh, you know, good horror scenes. I think when the kids are in the car making out and the zombie kids start attacking the car, that's kind of a chaotic Fun sequence. You know, good horror scene. Uh, yeah, there's there's good stuff. There's some backstory they they try and give you you know enough of. And uh, the one issue, if I'm gonna take something up, is the ending. Right. Like a uh, insist where uh, I mean, if we can get into <laughs> basically what we've done is uh, they've they've killed the main. The zombies have killed the main you know villain that they were after at the start of the bloodline that's caused all this to happen so everything's wrapped up and in a nice little bow <laughs> yeah and they said and you know the little girl Chloe Grace as you kind of you know 
disappears for just a little bit, and then she comes back to it. They're not going to hurt any. They're not going to hurt you, mommy. They're not going to hurt anyone anymore. And then you know, and it's supposed to be like a happy ending. And we look at the and it's like, but they killed all my friends and they killed all the people in the town. <laughs> no one even thinks about that. It's uh, it's like they're looking. Oh, look at this sweet little zombie girl and finally rest. Well, why the fuck did they have to kill all these other people? It's, and it, why it, generations it later? We get that list. Yeah, that the whole everything's okay, and now they left. The family moves out from this house, and they apparently leave the house to the zombie kids to live in. Yeah. Uh, from what I, you know, the little girl zombies on the bed holding a doll, and the little boy clothing. What? Well, so, like, I okay thought they were and... going to go with the classic. Chloe Grace Moretz is still possessed by the little girl, right? But no, they went for a much dumber, even like sillier twist ending. Like they leave and the the ghost zombie things are still in the house, just playing house forever. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you because to what, that. I can't remember the I can't remember the character's name, but the the old man that uh, kind of was putting blood on the door to protect people. Um, right. Said he tied everything up. He took care of things because they don't tell us how. What, what's going to happen now? Oh, don't worry. He, he took care of things. Yeah. Uh, and then they leave, and it's a sweet moment. Say, oh look, now the zombies can just live happily and never <laughs> forever what and about ever. All those people that. <laughs> but and, yeah, I, a lot I was of... with the movie. It's a fine movie. I I got some enjoyment out of it, but that little you know the last four minutes maybe just almost soured it a little bit. Well, and, yeah, we were talking about zombies not... Well, they did do some eating of people, but they did a lot of swinging of pickaxes and stuff like that, too. And, you know, I, I guess part of that is, like, little kids, they're smaller, they're physically less intimidating, so how are you going to do that? But I don't think... I'm a big guy. I don't know if I could drive a pickaxe through somebody, and they're going to ask me to believe that these little kids are doing it. But again, if it was scary, if it was working, I wouldn't question it. I would just roll with those punches. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Chloe Grace Moretz. Even as a small actress, especially in a micro-budget movie, a weak child performance can kill you. And she's not weak. She's doing a really good job. Uh, Scout Taylor Compton, who almost immediately after this would go into Rob Zombie's Halloween movies, would prove herself very capable. Like... She can handle tough dialogue, and she can handle highly emotional and visceral scenes. And I think, I don't know, the movie needed to be up on another gear somehow. I think it needed either to be have more stakes or more momentum and somehow to make me fear for the characters or be more scared of the wicked little things of the title. And yeah, maybe this is very loosely described as a zombie movie, but that's how the movie sold itself. But it is basically things come back from the dead to avenge themselves. These children were used because they could fit into the small caverns in the mine to, you know, set the explosives. And uh, a tragic event happens and kills a bunch of children. And the town covers it up. It, again, we've heard this sort of story many, many times before. So it's all about execution. And I hear, I'm just at risk of repeating myself, it was off for me. So I didn't have fun with it much as I wanted to. Um, but I don't think I'll be completely dismissive. If it sounds like something you'd be curious about, I mean, maybe you'll get more out of it than I did. But I feel like it is, I think, as you said, Scott, something that you will likely just forget as you watch. You know, it just drifts through you. 
Yeah, and some of those After Dark ones kind of can be like that too. You know, they're hit and miss. Some of them are memorable. Some are a little bit less. But uh, I do like, I like to take the effort, I guess, and, and, you know, taking a swing at them. But uh, I think it sounds like I got a little bit more enjoyment out of it than you did, but uh, not by... Uh, not by a ton. It was kind of middle ground for me. Yeah, it was, it was fine. Good enough. I've I've given that review many times. One of the things that I love about the zombie genre is how throughout my life it has consistently surprised me at, at points where I, I'm just not expecting it to happen. I'd almost given up on zombies like ever coming back. And then 28 days later and that Dawn of the Dead remake and Shaun of the Dead happened like within a year and a half and all of a sudden we got this avalanche of zombies. and. Me as just this voracious, you know, guy who just will eat as much zombies as you give me. I'm just in hog heaven. I'm loving it. And I'm hearing everybody talk about how, uh, I don't know, it's too much. Zombie movies are terrible. Zombie movies are just, it's oversaturation. I defended The Walking Dead right to the last season, goddammit. I am all in with the zombies. But... You know, it had been a while. Wreck was a nice highlight, but it had been a while since there'd been, like, a truly game-changing, holy shit, blew-my-mind zombie movie. It had been long enough that I was starting to wonder, again, if it would ever happen. If maybe I'd have to finally concede that everyone else was right. We have oversaturated zombies to the point where they just don't work anymore. And then I saw Train to Busan, and... I was completely, completely <laughs> just vindicated in my position on zombies. They're incredibly malleable in how you can use them. You can use them just for visceral teeth and tissue violence. You can use them for social commentary. You can use them for satire. They are incredibly pliable. But even at the base element, there's a plague, a very sudden plague. You're trapped on a train with your daughter how are you going to, just in the immediate circumstance, keep her and yourself alive? And it is two hours of the most intensely thrilling zombie cinema that has ever been made. I, I know I sound like I'm being a little bit overselling it and anything like that, but I can't no. undersell the emotional, visceral power of the movie. This is a zombie movie that may well wring tears from you. It is fan fucking Fantastic. So I'm not sure if it's well, coming through, but I'm a big fan of Train to Busan. This film completely blows my fucking mind. <laughs> you don't mind the odd F-bomb here, Larry, but uh, 
yeah, the, and I, you are not over, overselling it. It's, uh, uh, you can't. It's, uh, I've, I, after I saw this the first time, I, I, and I tell this to, I think I said it to you, like, I consider if there's, there's three granddaddy zombie movies through history to me that uh, are just saying, if I had to pick three, the, the main, just most important, uh, influential, game changing zombie movies to me, we got Dawn of the Dead, Return of the Living Dead, and this puppy here, Train to Busan. Those yeah. are, that's how important and how highly I regard this film. It's, it's just incredible. Like you said, the, um, the visceral violence of the zombies, but that emotional impact. Uh, yeah, dude, I shed tears during this movie. And, and it's, uh, you know, and then it's while you're reading as well, it's subtitled, it's Korean. Yeah. So uh, for the performances to be that good, where I'm catching all the visual, and plus, you know, I'm, I'm getting the dialogue, and it's impacting me uh, where, yeah, I feel stuff. <laughs> it's uh, the rare thing to watch a zombie movie that's this crazy and frantic and violent. There is a lot of violence in it and scares. But also to have that much emotion is, I think, what really, really impressed me. Yeah. It also is a piecemeal. If you're a zombie movie fan, which I think we can safely say you and I are, you can see where it's borrowing from. It's like taking the ferocity and the fast zombies of like your wreck and your 28 days later. But it's also taking elements of Romero's. We very definitely have one of the biggest fucking Cooper characters in zombie oh movie history. Zombie history. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing while it was on about this guy might be the biggest asshole in not just zombie history, maybe movie history, where yeah. his whole purpose is just to be an asshole. You rage and, and you rage exactly. and you rage against him and every time you think he's hit bottom and he's done the worst thing he can possibly do, he absolutely goes lower. It's unbelievable. You hate him so much. And again, that's an emotional reaction. Like when you hate a character that passionately, the movie is working you and working you well. But there's also characters that you love, you know. There's a, this guy who's protecting his pregnant wife through the whole movie and you know the second you meet this guy because he's non-essential that this guy's not making the end credits of the movie but it still breaks you in half when shit goes bad for him like the performances are just amazing like my thing with Train to Busan now because I've seen it a lot of times because it's fucking amazing is that I think there might be maybe two things in the whole movie that I would personally change and uh, again, small things, and we found we found threads to pull in Dawn of the Dead as well. But there's two scenes pretty early in the movie. One where a deer is run over by a truck and obliterated, and it kind of rebuilds itself and reconnects together. And a scene where the zombies are falling out of the sky, <laughs> smashing onto the ground, and then getting up and their bodies reconstituting and continuing to attack. For whatever reason, they establish that in the first act of the movie, but that is not how the zombies behave for the rest of the movie. For the rest of the movie, like, they're very fast, they're very ferocious, but they don't, you know, suddenly get up and unbreak their bones if their bones are broken. <laughs> but well, see, I don't know, because I think a key on this is the, the way the zombies move. Like I think they hired a lot of missiles where they're you know they're kind of moving their arms backwards and just the way they move is really kind of creepy and, and unnatural even not really like World War Z but uh, kind of almost in that way where they're kind of rolling over each other they're you know when they're holding onto the train near the end 
and there's this whole, there must be like 50 zombies, all just kind of building this whole thing together. Uh, and I think this one worked a lot better than how they did a similar idea in World War Z. But uh, uh, they they you know, swarm I like the insects. Way they were falling and, and breaking. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really clock that the way you did. If they if they changed movements part way through, I think uh, it's just so much going on. I didn't really right. notice uh, that. I, I like the way they run and like they 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 have this weird waddle but I'm talking about like the the deer is smushed by the truck and it somehow unsmushes itself and stands up again right uh, I I didn't think they were that level of indestructible for the rest of the movie they were all like individual terminators in a couple of those scenes but again I don't mean to make a meal out of this because this is a small thing and while the rest the movie's moving too fast for you to really clock it it's because I've seen it several times that I I, I noticed these little things but. I like the way they handled the zombies. Um, it's described in the novels that they based the Pontypool off of, the this weird herd mentality of zombies. Like when they're pressed up against the glass and the glass finally yields, it's like this one volume thing vomits through the glass. Like it's this sort of pouring, undulating mass of arms and like... It, I don't know how it was accomplished because they had a lot of extras, but a lot of that had to be CGI, but it's seamless. Yeah, it looks really good. There's Yeah, there wasn't anything, you know, where you point out and say, well, that's, that's fake, but... <laughs> but the zombies have their, well, I mean, it's fake because they're zombies, but they have their own little things too. They are incredibly aggressive if they see you. But the second they can't see you, like you put paper on glass, yeah, they're fine. But the second they see yeah, you, they yeah, are furious. You like the one guy he throws a blanket over his head, yeah, and the zombie just all of a sudden stops. He doesn't know what to do, yeah. and then he can get away. Uh, that is, you're right. That's one thing they added to this is they don't attack you if they don't see you. They're just wandering. But if they see you, they go just rabbit. But uh, yeah, because they start walking by them, the train cars, just being quiet, you know, through the tunnels when it's dark. Yeah. There's there's a lot of things to, to cross the train is, uh, you can only... You can only go so far. Sorry, you were cutting out there a little bit. You can only go so far in the train? You yeah, I think they, they... Yeah, well, because, you know, you're confined to a space, and uh, once you hit the end of the train, there's nowhere else to go. Um, you know, so there is that kind of horror element as well um then they do a good job introducing the characters you know certain we're going to meet the, these people we're going to meet uh, you know the elderly lady and her sister we're going to meet his baseball team you know and a young couple and you know the married couple you mentioned and it, there's a lot of people on this train that are just there to get eaten and killed um but we they do a great job of introducing us to certain people that can kind of know and like and, and of course and the asshole as well <laughs> And maybe the asshole thing is a bit on the nose. It's just how hard they wanted to. All right, this guy's name may as well be asshole, but uh, why does he keep on living? He just kills person after person, and he does the wrong thing again and again. And he's rewarded for it again and again. And you hate him so much that for a while you start cheering for the zombies. But then even when he becomes a zombie, he's still this epic problem. Oh. <laughs> There's the homeless guy who was chased onto the train by the first infected, the sort of, the at least ground zero for the infection on the train. So he knows what's yeah. going on, and he's not supposed to be there. 
And on some level, whether he clocks it or not, because he led her onto the train, I think he kind of feels a little bit responsible. And he particularly latches onto this little girl. And it's funny because it's this entire little character thread subplot, and it's almost entirely unspoken, but it totally works. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff that, that just works too. I mean, even kind of the stuff between the little girl and her dad, how, you know, you know the one guy says her dad's a, her job means he's a bloodsucker. And, and she kind of says, yeah, people, yeah, people say that. Or she kind of knows that her, there's odd moments where she judges him, her dad, and, you know, this is why mom left. And, uh, and she's such a little kid. And she does a great job as far as the child actor. Oh, well. my. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's really hard because you see that you know it's a broken marriage. He's bringing her to see her mom because that's that's what she wants, and uh, uh, he's trying to repair that relationship. And you know, just the moments of that are so just emotional. And uh, yeah, it's it's such a I don't know. I can't. I love recommending this to people yeah. who haven't seen it. They really they really got it. It's a safe recommend. He's lost trust with his daughter is the thing. Like when he promises he's going to be back, she doubts him. Like she just she yeah. doesn't feel safe and loved with her dad until the third act of the movie. And uh it's like crushing like the again, I said it at the beginning. It really works on you emotionally in a way that no other zombie movie I can think of can. There's a scene, and I, I, I know I do spoilers on the on the show, but even on the chance that I'm spoiling this for someone, I don't want to completely say it, but there's a scene with two characters walking through a tunnel, and that little girl is singing a song to her father. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Like, wow. Oh gosh, yeah. And even, you know, in a foreign language, it, it gets to you, right? Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, we're both dads and we're both Papa Bears and, like, that can get to us. But I don't think it's a prerequisite. Like, I think if you're a human being with feelings, this is going to, like, work for you. And the end of the initial Train to Busan, that crash that happens with the cast of thousands, zombies running everywhere, it's really everything World War Z should have been, like, in a lot of ways. It puts to shame, like, big-budget zombie movies anywhere. Like, I did a whole episode dedicated to Resident Evil, the Resident Evil franchise. And, like, like they spent millions of dollars on those movies. And there's sequences that look cool. But, I mean, if you really applied that money in a, in a really, you know, if you, if you applied it correctly, you would get Train to Busan. And, uh... I'm so glad that it happened. Like, I felt completely regenerated and, like I say, vindicated in my zombie fandom from this movie. And like you say, recommending to this people this to people is such a safe bet. Even people who don't like zombie movies get caught up in it because it the characters are strong and the momentum and energy of the movie just carries you through it. It's it you can't look away. <laughs> Word is I guess there's uh, plans for an American remake as well, and to that I just say, why? Yeah. If if the perfect movie exists, what what are you going to improve on it? Just make it in a different language, I guess. Well, and they did this sequel to it, Peninsula. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I think it's a little too reliant on the CGI. It certainly was not as impressive as Train to Busan. But to be fair, it would be an almost impossible act to follow. Like. 
bravo. Like, I would buy a beer to everyone on set. Although that would be expensive because, like I say, cast of thousands. Uh, good enough. Have we sold Train to Basalt? Yeah, maybe just buy a beer for the survivors. Yeah. So now I think we come to the only Zom comedy, I guess, arguably, of the group. Um, it, this is a very warmly received movie called One Cut of the Dead, but it's a little bit of a nosebleed to try to explain to somebody the concept of the movie without, you know, A, confusing them, or B, kind of wrecking a lot of the delight of the movie. <laughs> so Yeah, I think before you even say anything, you almost want to say, like, if you haven't seen it, it's most fun watching it knowing as little as possible about it going in. Yeah. Like, extremely. So that's, that's where I would say, if you haven't seen it, but you plan to, um, you know, tread carefully, because a lot of the fun is... The reveals. Not knowing what's, what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's a series of reveals. And the way it was explained to me originally is that a bunch of people are trying to make a zombie movie and then an actual zombie uh, holocaust starts happening. Yeah. Which is yeah. sort of true, but sort of not true. As we but turned going out... going in, that's a good tagline to... That's yeah. a good way to go in. That's a and good like, way. Okay, yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah, that sounds like interesting. And is it found footage? Not exactly. Is it a straightforward movie? Not exactly. <laughs> but um, the one shot of the dead, it's not the entire movie, but it is, I believe, like the first 35-ish minutes of the movie is the one shot of the dead. And within that one shot, as you're watching it... continual camera cut. That's right. Uh as I was watching it the first time, I was like, it's impressive, they're keeping this to one shot, but I mean, there's air in the proceedings here, and there's something a little bit awkward, but, like, I'm going with the movie, because, like I've said earlier, I'm cheering for the low-budget, ambitious movie. The brilliant thing is that the movie turns around and it justifies all those pregnant pauses, and it justifies the actors vamping helplessly for a few minutes, because they're buying time for shit that's happening behind the scenes. So yes, I mean, if you've listened this far, we're wrecking the movie for you because we have to talk about the actual movie, but we yeah. see the one shot, we cut away to the finish, and then cut, we see the crew celebrating the completion of the shot. And then we see the man being hired to make this movie, and we see what's going on behind the scenes as he's shooting the one shot of the dead. Now... Almost universally, people love this movie when when they've watched it. The only time I've ever heard anyone complain, and I don't take it seriously, is in the end of the day, is it a for real zombie movie? To me, I say yes, it's a for real zombie movie, and it's awesome. But you don't need for real zombies to make it a for real zombie movie. 
so yeah the reason one of the characters is inconsistent is that that actor is off his ass drunk and has to physically be carried from from point to point uh when somebody yeah, one of the actors oh, shitting themselves. Sorry, you were cutting off there, so I finished your sentence. One of the actors has to leave because they're pooping their pants, and they have to fix it on the fly. And when we watch it the first time, we don't know what's going on, but when we watch it the second time, there's this lovely, aha. And behind all of it is just this celebration of independent filmmaking and kind of theater work, a lot of backstage theater antics that you get in a live theater environment because this is all being filmed and broadcast live. (laughs) Uh, You come to just cheer for them and you want everything to work out for them and you fall in love with the project. And by the time the movie's over, you're just so happy with everything that's happened and all of the you know clever turns of the plot that the fact that there was no real zombies in the movie at the end of the day is not a complaint at all because are you smiling did you enjoy watching the movie because i know i sure as hell did another very safe zombie recommendation and one of the best zombie comedies in a very very long time it's meta and it's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it I'm sorry to have wrecked it for you, but fucking watch it. Yes, you'll still enjoy it, but I I do stand by, for me, not knowing, going in, watching it. You might have trouble with it. I think uh, for the first half hour, there were moments where I was questioning, because the acting is not our, but you realize it's because they're they're acting as actors, Actors. (laughs) as bad actors. You know, it's, it's strange because it starts immediately... Uh, and it looks grainy. It looks low budget because they're making a low budget movie. It's definitely in three separate acts. The first act is the finished movie. They're, they're supposed to be in one shot. And uh, that's the whole movie. And, but we don't know that at first. We're just watching this movie that seems really off. Strange. The acting is a little weird. The writing is weird. This lady starts talking about her self defense. Which I love at the end. I thought that's just I love that moment. But when you're watching, it's like what the hell. That has nothing to do with anything. And it's I've heard people walked out of this movie and did not enjoy. It, but they're the ones that left a half hour in or less. It's yeah. like, this, this is not for me. You may feel like that. Give it give it its time because it pays off, and you don't realize how well this is going to pay off until the end. I watched this twice this week. Uh, the first time I watched it was fresh, and I didn't know going in. The second time I watched it, even better experience because now I know, and I'm picking up all these little things while it's happening. Uh, it works that way. Um, as you said, the second act of the film is one month prior. Yeah. It's the preparation for this movie, and it should I things are happening. Except the alcoholic, uh, one of the main actors in the movie. Uh, gets replaced with someone who isn't really an actor and she's having a bit of a mental breakdown so yep. that explains a little stuff too and then we see the finished product the behind the scenes uh, the stuff behind so it's it's like a movie within a movie on a TV show of <laughs> movie it's, it's so it's a lot of fun I and, and you really have to see the whole thing because you could be an hour in it wondering if this is even good Yeah. and then after the next half hour the whole thing makes sense you say ah this whole thing was good. 
that's, I just didn't know it was good at the time. That's part of the journey, though, because you go for a little bit going, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, I'm sure about this. Now I'm positive about this. This is amazing. But, yeah, too bad for you if you cash in your chips too early. It also shares some little bit of DNA with Train to Busan in that there's a really sweet story about a father-daughter relationship that's kind of subtly woven into it. Like, he's not connecting with his teenage daughter as much, and he's got this picture of her up on his shoulder holding a camera that he keeps looking at in this sort of sad way, like they don't have the same relationship. And the whole movie peaks with her, the, their jib, their crane that they were using to lift the camera to get the big finishing shot has been knocked off the building. So they have to make a human pyramid out of their crew with her on the top to get this quote unquote crane shot for their final moment. And it reframes that picture. There she is on top of everybody's shoulders, holding the camera again, making a movie with her dad. And it's so sweet. On top of everything else, it kind of get got me in the feels a little bit. And I was not expecting that. Like you, the first time I watched the movie, I thought it was going to have real zombie attacks in it. Yeah, like like you, I thought that's what I thought. People are making a zombie movie, and then they actually get attacked by real zombies. That's what I thought going in. And uh, I didn't know that this would be the one film that I ended it over, and I had a nice smile, like a happy smile. <laughs> <laughs> You don't get that with a lot of zombie movies, do you? Aww. <laughs> you know, this, it's, a, it's a fun one to, uh, to recommend for just how different it is. And as I said, the first half hour, the, sh- the footage looks great. It looks kind of cheap. Uh, but once they switch over to the movie part, uh, Chris HD and, and everything, and the acting seems that they're not playing, there's acting. You know, I don't know how to explain that. but Well... Sorry, you were getting a little choppy there. You were saying, like, it starts off feeling ragged and then it smoothed itself out, both in the performances and in the production. Sorry, I'm just sort of filling in. There was a little bit of a gap there. Yeah. <laughs> and purpose, purposely so as well. Yeah. No, it would like the, the stuff going on behind the scenes, not just what we see, but logistically, like, what does the screenplay to this movie look like? And how many balls is the screenplay guy, like, juggling? And... Did they have a for real lockdown script or was there some improvisation? Like, I have a lot of really questions about that that I would be curious to find the answer to. I also, I don't know the name of the actors and I, I could try to pronounce them, but the woman who plays the filmmaker's wife who <laughs> ends up being thrown in the movie last minute and is having lines fed to her in her ear and has a complete breakdown, I think that her performance, both as a good actor, a bad actor, and the worried wife in between, is just spot on on point all the time. She's basically playing three parts simultaneously. And they're all funny. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I do like her, her character in this. She's just out of place, and you know, when they have to ad-lib. Yes. Are you okay? You're okay? It's good that you're okay. What about you? Are you okay? It's good that you're okay, and I'm okay. It's good that we're all okay. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I think, yeah, we're we're fans of of this, and, uh, and I do like the way you point out it celebrates independent film too, and, and low budget filmmaking, and uh, uh, I appreciate that as well. Oh yeah, the family that develops. It's sort of like a summer camp atmosphere in a weird way. If you get a good crew together working together for several months on one particular project, this kind of like isolated little society sort of starts taking place. 
And, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of movies that celebrate it, but never in this particular way. <laughs> never zombie-flavored. And like I say, how many zombie they, movies leave you feeling good? Yeah, not too, not too many. Um, and yeah, and even they, they had one legit actor, I guess, in their film. Um, and, you know, the spoiled Hollywood actor or whatever. And uh, yeah. you know, the, the mother, you know, she even smacks him in the face during filming. <laughs> one of those, like, uh, whiny little brat or whatever she says. But yeah, it's... There's so much fun to be had with this, and I just hope that people stick it through. Yeah. Because if you don't know that this is going to switch, some people could say this is 20 minutes in, and this is not very good. This is badly written, but there's a reason. Just hold on, is all I say. Just hold on. There's a reason for this. Well, and that's what like the cinephiles, patient cinephiles, can do. Like again, I, I keep on sounding like an old man because I'm, I guess, becoming an old man. But these kids today, you know, have a short attention span. If it's not like full on amazing in the first five minutes, they're turning it off and going on to the next thing. And a lot of times, I mean, sometimes patience doesn't reward you, but sometimes it really does. And sometimes dismissing somebody's tactics as being you know, stupid, uh, you're actually being played by the filmmaker. Give them time and room to tell their story. And this is very original. Like, there's been, you know, forced perspective movies, there's been one-shot movies, there's been zombie movies, there's been behind-the-scenes zombie movies, but there's no movie like this. And, you know, please don't remake it. Just let it be what it is. Please yeah. don't sequelize it. It's, it's just perfect as it is thank you very much <laughs> yeah I, yeah and i agree don't don't remake it as well and I'm, I'm worried that someone will yeah but again i don't see why you okay do not withhold your mercy from us O lord for troubles without number surround us May your love and your truth protect us. For here lies the dead, dust of the earth. Good always conquers evil. I believe that. Are you coming home? Are you coming home? I just want you to come home. Johnny's voice. No, it's not. You know that is not your son. I just want you to come home. So, I don't know. It's come across on the uh, podcast in the past that I'm a fan of Mr. Stephen King. But I've also said that I'm a fan of him as a writer of novels and as a writer of short stories. Having him as your screenwriter, hit and miss. I mean, it worked out for Pet Cemetery and, and, you know, Silver Bullet. It does. It's not always a catastrophe, but in a weird way, he does need to be adapted in order to fit his stories into a movie. And sometimes you have to have someone who's not the author there, who's willing to make the hard cuts, that an author just has a hard time, you know. It's like a surgeon operating on their own kid, you know. He just, you want... <laughs> so... 
uh, and then they announced that the book was coming out years ago, and I think it was either like Premier Magazine or Entertainment Weekly. One of the entertainment magazines that I was reading actually had the first chapter published within its pages, and I remember reading it and getting super excited about the book because it's Stephen King, who I love, and it's Kind of Zombies, who I love. And I uh, remember the first chapter is all about sort of ground zero at the airport and people biting their each other's faces and peeling them off and the violence was crazy and I was like I got all excited about the book and then I read the book and I was kind of disappointed to be honest it was just like it wasn't exactly zombies and it just didn't live up to this picture in my head of a Stephen King zombie thing it's not awful I didn't hate reading it I got like I, I finished it and everything like that but you know it would probably be the lower end of the Stephen King catalog for me but I remember thinking, could be a cool movie, though. Maybe they could make an interesting movie about this. They streamlined it and, you know, gave it a proper ending and, like, did something with it. Like, they'd have to, like, take an angle on it, but it could be done. And then I watched There's the movie Cell, and I discovered, not clearly by this director, and not clearly with this script. Which is unfortunate, because... It's sort of a reunion of Sam Jackson and John Cusack made a different Stephen King movie together called 1408, which was quite good. Hey, you know, like you could have got excited saying this was like a spiritual sequel to it. But for the fact that it's a movie that takes place in a, like a technological Armageddon, where the entire world is taken over by this signal and turned into phoners, as they're lamely called in this story, and it has... All the post-apocalyptic things, you get the Ground Zero, and then you get the Band of Survivors road movie through the apocalyptic wasteland. And it checks off all the boxes, and sort of like I was saying with Liquid Little Things, every isolated piece by itself is an interesting piece of the puzzle that I feel like I should be liking. But somehow, the movie just lies there. It feels stagnant. There's no stakes to it. Major characters are killed off. And you feel nothing. They go for the ultra-dark, ultra-devastating ending. And you feel nothing. You've got great actors, or at least actors that you know are capable of greatness, that feel flat. So, I don't know. Like, it's not a catastrophe, but it is so bland as to be impossible to recommend. Such is my faint praise for Zell. <laughs> So I, I have not read the book, right. so I don't have that to go on. Um, is is this fairly faithful then to the novel? Until the third act, yes. Okay. Um, and I think the third act is really maybe where I had most problems in, and it does not stick an ending. No. Um, it, I, the first chapter of the book, if that's the airport scene, I could see where you would get excited. Right. Because that... I got excited. I, okay, I'm into this movie. That was well done. Um, and I like the idea of, you know, cell phones are turning us into zombies. It's like, wink, wink, get it? We yeah. kind of, you know, we're all, you know, we're zombies now just staring at our phones and everything's our phones. So that, that idea, I think, is a brilliant kind of comment on, on the world. And there's a movie to be made there. Um, I don't, and again, I don't have the, the, uh, the book to go back on, on on what else was done with it, but... Uh, after they leave the airport, though, it turns into kind of a run-of-the-mill survivors thing, and so I guess we need an angle. What what else is going to be? And the whole 
what they do with it. I don't know. I, I started really losing interest. And the main problem with this movie was not the action pieces, um, was not the acting, I guess, but it, the story to me was just not working. And uh, that really should be a strong point. Uh, not, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, by the time the movie's over, I was not sure what was going on. I right. don't know what happened. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't understand. I don't know what happened at the end. It was like, okay, this is. It was just so. This is not where I wanted this to go, or I, it just was weird. And yeah. Strange. And, um, well, I think what Stephen King was sorry. I think what Stephen King was trying to do was I think a lot of people complained as they so often did about the, the end of the novel. And he was like, well, I'm adapting the screenplay, so I'll give you a better ending, if that's what you're thinking of. And <laughs> so you hate I think, this ending, just wait and see, you're going to really hate the movie ending. I don't want to, I won't spoil the novel ending, but I will say this, it went from basically having no ending to having a bad ending. That was, that was his fix, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and he's done that with, like, the mist in the novella form doesn't really have an ending. Frank Darabont gave us the ending to The Mist. That wasn't in the novella, right? Uh, and uh, so he's seen it done successfully by people he res he respected, so why wouldn't Stephen King try it himself? But no, the ultra-dark ending doesn't work. I think it reminded me of an equally disappointing thriller from Brad Anderson, coincidentally, who we just mentioned who's going to be directing Twilight of the Dead, uh, the, A Vanishing on 7th Street where there's this weird apocalypse where if people get caught in the dark, they disappear and go God knows where. And in that story, we see, when we finally see what happens to them, is that they have a vision of success. And uh, their brain is telling them, sort of like Terry Gilliam's Brazil or something, that everything's worked out. You've become the hero. You've solved the problem. Hooray. But as we come back, no, they've just been sucked into the darkness. It's the same idea here. We're shown an absolutely perfect ideal ending where John Cusack gets his son back, kills all of the phoners, and is on a quest to go back and buddy up with Sam Jackson and the rest of the ragtag team of survivors. And then smash cut, no, he's one of the phoners, everybody's doomed. Credits, aren't you devastated you'll never sleep at night? No, I wasn't devastated because I was never invested... I was never invested in him finding his son. I never believed the quest in him finding his son. I never believed the stakes. Like, everybody in the world, as far as you know, is dead. And they walk around kind of ho-hum and bored. Uh, Isabel Furman, the, the orphan, uh, she's in the movie too. And again, for a post-apocalyptic situation, she seems really cool with everything that's happening. She looks fucking fantastic, right? <laughs> and again... There's another one of many characters that they introduce, set up, and then suddenly kill, and that we're supposed to care about. There's another dude who's, like, staying up all the time and is super paranoid, and he blows himself up in front of John Cusack, and we don't care. Like, that's yeah, the kinda, that's the I bell that I like keep that ringing. A major event would happen. An entire field of phoners are lit on fire, and I sat there staring at it like I was watching, I don't know, uh, a history documentary that was not interesting to me. It was just indifference. And there should be good ideas there. Like at the schoolyard, they find all the phoners at night. Uh, they lay on the ground and they hum to the sky or <laughs> make this weird noise. So they literally douse them in gasoline, light them on fire, and then think, hmm, is there any humanity left in those people after the fire is lit? <laughs> 
And in another movie, that would have been interesting to see them wrestle with it. Or else, you know, seeing the flaming zombies attack them and them having to gun them down would have been exciting somehow. Or when Stacy Keach gets killed off, another character that we meet and then dies, it meant something, right? And it just never meant anything. It's bland. Um, there was some very glaring poor CGI as well that really stood out zombies that that it just stood out I mean yes you're not really going to set fire to a bunch of people so you're going to have an effect I understand that but it uh, it just it looked really bad and I think the worst victim is the plane crash yeah oh um, yeah in the airport as they're running out uh, two planes collide in there and then crash them in the tarmac and and it looks like you're watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon for a second. It's it's really poor. Yeah. Um, and I again, I understand you're not really going to crash two planes together just for a movie. But uh, if you can't do it, maybe just have a crash in the background. You hear a sound and you see a, a fireball. We can do that. Yeah. In a movie. If you if you have to pull your punch, pull your punch. Yeah. Yeah. So that means because that, that took me out. I thought, what the heck? I actually rewound that because I thought it, it looked so just weird and the sizes weren't. Uh, proper for where they were and but uh but for a moment though like there's in the airport the violence there that was the thing that was really intense out to the edge of my seat you know the that person like starts eating the dog and you know that the chef wielding the knife and it's just it was violent and i thought wow this is yeah everyone's on their phones like this could you know this is how it's all going to happen in real life yeah but uh, and then it it's the phoner idea yeah it asked me after when we, they had a purpose and uh, I just didn't get on board with that. And John Cusack's character has these visions, or the vision of that red-hooded uh, demon or whatever he was. And I don't think that was really clearly explained in the movie. Maybe they get a bit more into the, the novel, but... Well, he was... In the, in the movie, he's writing a graphic novel, and that character is something he's created in his novel. And the other people say that they're dreaming about it, too. Like, if it was right. just John Cusack, I could say, oh, he's manifesting a creation for his book because he decided to detach himself from his family, to dedicate himself from his work. His work cost him his family, so this is like the personification of his weakness, of his failure to be a father and a husband, right? But why it would be affecting everyone else, I don't know. Unless the phoner thing happened way early. Like, I was talking about this whole journey for him to redeem himself. Maybe he did become a phoner in the airport. Like, the movie could be interpreted like he was infected right away. And to go back to my old man and these kids today, uh, speaking of, like, people are stuck on their phones, I, I, I've been preparing for the 20-teens best of, and I watched the Unfriended movies. And there's some great stuff okay. in there, but honestly, close your fucking laptop, right? Like, once you know that the phones are the problem, why do they still have their phones on their person? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've watched the first one of those, and, and uh, that'll be a one-time watch. You think you're just like, well, why don't you just turn around and uh, <laughs> go do something else? Walk away from your computer. This is obviously not going anywhere good. <laughs> but uh, again, uh, again, that's a found footage yeah, so argument, too. The found footage argument says turn off the, the camera and go home and then the movie is over. But I don't know. Usually the movie already has to not be working for you to start having those types of thoughts. 
and and this one this one just kind of stopped working anytime they would introduce story to it i guess yeah and the parts that worked were only the moments when it was a run-of-the-mill survival story i guess which is unfortunate because we have many of those and i want something with an interesting twist yeah and the, the interesting parts of this just were not that interesting to me unfortunately uh i, I wanted more from it um it was just uh, the guy in the red sweatshirt, uh, the hoodie at the end. So I, the big bad view that uh, Cusack has to destroy the center of the cell tower. Right. What, whatever was happening in that final scene, I, I guess it was all in his head. I'm imagining. Or yeah, I think everything was, after his son screaming at him. Sorry, I, I cut you off there. It, it just felt like it just felt like the, it was thrown together. Yes. The ending and. Uh, it kind of it soured the meal for me. Yeah. I think my interpretation is when he saw his son and his son opened his mouth, his son infected him with the phoner thing. Yeah. But it could be interpreted, I guess, that he was infected the whole time. But either way, it doesn't matter because we don't care. Scott and I have talked about these six zombie movies in our second zombie episode. I feel super stupid about that. But yes, our second zombie episode together. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, sort of like our first one, there's quite a bit of variety, but there are some high heights and some low lows. But uh, please, let's do this. What was your least favorite of these six zombie pictures and why? Well, we've never matched before. And uh, I don't know if today is the day, we shall see. But uh, at number six, I'm going to put... There was one movie that kind of bored me, but there was one that kind of just upset me or, right. or made me a little bit uh, disappointed or angry. And the bottom half to be Cell. Uh, just because maybe I... There's an idea there. It did not work as a movie. Uh, I thought about putting it a little bit higher because there are some scenes that work. But as a movie, it just, it just does not. So I... I put that on the bottom uh, which means shockwaves gets number five and that's uh, again I was very mild to it uh, it was kind of you know, a little bit dull pretty slow but it didn't hang so it didn't annoy you no no it, it just existed <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was fine uh, and I'm so I mean I'm putting wicked little things at uh, fourth because um, I, I didn't have anything really to I found it more entertaining than Shockwaves. Uh, the ending hurt a little bit, but uh, there we go. So there's the bottom three. There, that's what I'm saying. There was a definite bottom three and a top three for me. Agreed. And they really announced themselves easily to me. I found, um, and that's kind of where those comments go. Third place is one kind of the one cut of the dead. Uh, in any other rank, it probably could be higher. Yeah. Uh, but we got two zombie masks above it. Um, and again, it's. 
it's is it is it a zombie movie? Well, yeah, kind of. It's about a zombie movie, so so it counts. It's zombie movie enough, Lock damn it. Home. It's literally a zombie movie. That's right. <laughs> now, now here's a tough choice had to be made. Um, so because we're talking about uh, Argento's presentation of zombie Dawn of the Dead, we'll give it second place. That's it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's it's a great movie. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Train to Busan number one. Train to Busan it's number one impressed me. It, it's an absolute thrill ride, and uh, you know maybe if we're talking about the original Dawn of the Dead, I have to make a harder decision. But I'll say, well, Dawn of the Dead, the original, that's that's different. This is a cut of it, so um, it's a, it's a, it is a different movie. I really can't pick apart Train to Busan. No, I, I love. I love all those those top three movies were great, uh, but that's where my, my rank has to go, and I'm pretty comfortable with that. Ugh. You know, I was a believer. I was thinking we were going to go six for six, but alas, we did not. Um, no? We absolutely agree on the top half of the list, <laughs> but we disagree on the bottom half of the okay. list. Um, I, I ended up putting Wicked Little Things at the bottom. I just... I don't know why I wasn't connecting to it, but it just... It was it was a chore. It was like I was trying to read something, but I, I I couldn't focus on it. It was it just wasn't holding my focus at all. Maybe it was me, but it was my second time watching the movie, and I don't know. I just wanted to like it more than I did. Now, is this my Stephen King fandom just making me feel guilty that I couldn't deal with putting Stephen King at the bottom, so he had to be in fifth place? I don't know, but I did put Cell in fifth place. For as bad as it is, like I say, its main problem is that it's bland. And for the subject that it's tackling, that's the last thing that this movie should have been or expected to be. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> little guest guest wave from Sarah there. Um, so, yeah, that'll... Yeah, there's worse Stephen King movies. Like, there's several worse Stephen King movies in this. That's the really horrifying thing. Um, it should have been way better than it was. Let's say that, absolutely. So, Cell in fifth place. In fourth place is where Shockwaves goes. And it's, again, I've been making excuses for all the bottom half of the list, but I think I like what the movie wants to be more than what the movie is. And, you know, Brooke, Brooke Adams... I think she's in her early seventies now, but I have strong feelings about Brooke. Adams. <laughs> so we should look her up and uh, say, "Oh, you're like seventy-five." <laughs> well, you 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 were amazing in Invasion of the Body Snatchers and and, and Shockwaves and many things. Scrooged, or was she in Scrooge? Maybe that was someone else. Doesn't matter. Uh, in third place, this is where we start aligning again. One Cut of the Dead. And you are absolutely right. If this was like a Zomcom list or a comedy list or like a lot of lot of lists, this would be right at the tippity top. It's definitely a movie I have no problem recommending. And uh, uh, it, it does what it's trying to do very well. And I don't know, it left me in a warm place, you know. <laughs> I didn't feel devastated or drained at the end of it. But, uh, yeah. And I'm backing your play 100%. Yeah, Train to Busan arguably wouldn't exist without Dawn of the Dead, but we're talking about the Argento cut, and uh, we've... Decades have gone by. Like, filmmaking, <laughs> the way they approach the special effects, the way they just... Like, 
obviously, Trandy Busan is a more impressive technical feat than Dawn of the Dead. But, I mean, they're both sure. absolutely amazing films. And like you, I think if we were talking about the standard Dawn of the Dead that you and I are used to, this would be a much harder decision to make. But because we're going with the European cut, that was my excuse <laughs> to put Dawn of the Dead in second place. Or Zombie, as it is. Zombie, Dawn of the Dead. Um, because, yeah, it's that movie that starts off the zombie sort of tangent universe where we get the zombies fighting sharks in your Zombie 3 movie, which I wanted to bring up because I, I know you love Zombie 3 and we did it for one of our sequel episodes and it did not did not do well in the rank, I'm afraid. Well, I'm not, it's not a good movie, no. <laughs> but it's a fun bad but movie. It's a fun movie. <laughs> Thank you so much, Scott, for being here. I, I just, I love talking zombies with you and, uh, I will remember this episode forever. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. I liked how your final, your top three ended up because I was worried that maybe that was controversial of putting Don not at the top automatically. Right. Uh, and I wrestled with that a bit, but uh, I, I, you know what, I can do this. But I think the message is sound and clear that we're both fully endorsing the top three of the list, and the bottom three are for zombie aficionados at best. If that. Yeah, it seems there's, there's a little bit of indifference to maybe the bottom three. Yeah. But there's a lot of love lot of in fun. the there's a lot of love in the podcast air right now. Uh, it's oh, your I son's birthday it. and you're neglecting him in my favor. So uh, <laughs> go spend some quality time with your family and uh, tell them that Larry says hello. I will do that. And uh, happy birthday to you, man. Thanks, brother. Uh, this will be dropping soon. I'll let you know. So another quality episode of Rank and Review comes to a close. I'm sorry there was a little bit of Skype lag and uh, some some issue with the computer for a couple of those reviews, but I think overall it was a rewarding listen. It's not like back in the days of COVID where it was getting a little bit a little bit hard to listen to. No, I think this was a high quality episode, but I would be more interested about what you think than what I think. So you can send your thoughts to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Check out the website at rankandreview.ca. I, as always, am your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell that other movie fan in your life about Rank and Review. Please give your ears to the Terror Table podcast and the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. And keep being the awesome podcast listener that you are today. Thank you so much, you guys.